All right, we can turn our Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 4. We're going to be starting in verse 20 tonight. Lord, as we turn our word open and uh, to, to talk about 1 Kings tonight, Lord, we just ask that your Holy Spirit would just be here with us, anoint this message, anoint our ears, our minds, um, the words that come from my mouth, Lord, that your Spirit would just guide and lead this study tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> All right, so we've been going through this book of 1 Kings for a couple weeks now, and uh, we, we've seen it in the beginning part of uh, chapter 4, we see King Solomon setting up his kingdom, setting up his government, and putting his officials in place. Now we're going to start talking about the prosperity, and we're going to start talking about the peace that came during Solomon's reign. So uh, let's go ahead and turn to verse 20, and it reads as such, Judah and Israel were numerous as the sands by the sea in multitude, eating and drinking and rejoicing. So Solomon reigned over all the kingdoms from the river, that's the Euphrates River, to the land of the Philistines, as far as the border of Egypt, that brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. Now Solomon's provision for one day was 30 cores of fine flour and 60 cores of meal, 10 fattened, calf, uh, fattened oxen, 20 oxen from the pastures, and 100 sheep, besides deer, gazelles, roebucks, and fatted fowl. For he had dominion over all the regions of this side of the river, from Tephasha even, even to Gaza, namely over all the kings on this side of the river. And he had peace in every side all around him. So during Solomon reigns, there was not much war. It's a lot of peace that went on, and he seemed to have reigned over almost the entire area that Abraham was promised from God. I don't think he quite reached it, but he reigned over a large number of the uh, area that was promised to Abraham. And here we see this incredible peace that Solomon had and the incredible prosperity that Solomon had during his reign. And a lot of this had to do with the bloodshed that happened with David, the previous king, his father that actually brought a lot of the peace and prosperity that Solomon ended up having. He cleared the way for Solomon. And I think as we gather at the table of the Lord, I think as we gather with him and we feast on his word, we have to look at the war that was won for us and the peace and prosperity we may have in our souls through our king, Jesus, who went out and shed blood for us so we can have that peace and we can have that prosperity and we can have that promise of everlasting life. So just like King David led the way and, and kind of set the road ahead of Solomon, Jesus does the same for us. And I think here in the U.S. we've, we've seemed to have forgotten what has brought us to this point, what our forefathers came here for, freedom to worship, freedom to serve the God that, that we, we want to serve. And uh, we've kind of grown into our own peace and prosperity here in the U.S. that I think we've gotten a little lazy with and a little idle with, and we've kind of started to ignore what God has done for us and the path he's actually laid for us. And, we, and as we see with this peace and prosperity towards the end of Solomon's reign, he kind of gets lazy with what the Lord has given him and he kind of gets lazy and idle with what the Lord has blessed him with. And we'll see the division later on. I think we need to be very careful and mindful of our own history. 
Israel was not mindful of their history. Too many times they were brought into slavery. Too many times they were freed from slavery, then brought into slavery again. And sometimes believe, as believers, we forget sometimes of what God has done for us, and we pull ourselves back into slavery with our flesh. We pull ourselves back into slavery with uh, sins that we may have had in the past that we'll fall back on when we neglect his word and we neglect prayer. So let's, let's remember our own history and our own lives, what God has, has delivered us up from. So we can see this. We see, like I said, we see it in our own country, all the idols that we have in our country now and the laziness that we have now and not wanting God, especially this, these generations that are coming up. They're not knowing the word of God because the truth of God is not being preached to them and that foundation is not being set for them. So let's, let's try and change that. But let's just remember that peace and prosperity we have, that comes directly from God, no one else. And if we get a false sense of peace and prosperity, just wait, it'll change. The true, true uh, peace and prosperity comes from God himself, amen? All right, let's turn to verse 25, and it reads, And Judah and Israel dwelt safely, each man under his own vine his fi- and fig tree, from Dan as far as Bathsheba, all the days of, Sol- all the days of Solomon. And Solomon had 40,000 stalls of horses for his his chariots and 12,000 horsemen. And these governors, each each in his own month, provided food for King Solomon and for all who came to King Solomon's table. There was no lack in their supply. They also brought barley and straw to the proper place for the horses' steeds and each according to his charge. So we remember... Earlier in uh, chapter 4, he talks about these 12 governors uh, providing each month for King Solomon. And here it's kind of repeating, repeating that. But we can also look at this, especially in the uh, first portion of this, where he says, each man under his vine and his fig tree is almost prophetically speaking of the millennium that is to come. In Micah uh, 4, 3 through 4, it is prophesied that Jesus would come back and that each person would dwell under his own vine and under his own fig tree. So when Jesus comes back to rule and reign on this earth, he's going to be ruling in peace and he's going to be ruling in prosperity for his people and all provision will be provided for us. We will not lack anything when he returns to reign for his millennium. We're going to rule and reign with him. And then we move on to the next, we're going to verse 26. It talks about King Solomon having all of these horses. He, he collected all these horses, had all these stables for horses. And once again, King Solomon is tiptoeing on the edge of sin again, dealing with what God has already prescribed in Deuteronomy, talking about horses. And it reads in Deuteronomy 17, 16, and 17, it says, Neither shall he multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. And another problem Solomon had, neither shall you multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. So now we've seen King Solomon, once again, tiptoeing on the edge of the fire when dealing with sin, starting to collect these horses. Later, he'll start having all these wives. So there was, there was some, some hard issues dealing with King Solomon that he really needed to take a look at. As we move on to verse 29, it says, And God gave Solomon exceedingly great understanding and largeness of heart like the sands of the seashore. So we talked about King Solomon earlier in the chapters asking for wisdom, and God granted him that wisdom. 
And we can see in 1 Corinthians 8.1, it, it talks about, we are reminded that the knowledge can often puff somebody up. Some people, when they gain knowledge and they, and they become intellectual, they, they think they're better than everyone else. And it can, it can also often cause their hearts to get cold. So the more, more you know sometimes, the more cynical you may, may come. But not so with Solomon. Here Solomon was also given what? A largeness of his heart. So not only did he have wisdom, but he had compassion for the people that he was going to be ruling over, in a sense. So what are we going to do when we pray? Are we going to ask, Lord, yes, Lord, give me the wisdom that I need to take care of my day, to take care of my month, take care of my year, take care of any situation that comes in my life. And let's also pray that we are, don't get cold and puffed up with the knowledge and wisdom that he may give us, because he will grant us that wisdom. He will grant us that knowledge. But let, let our hearts not get cold and let our hearts not get cynical, but let's ask him to enlarge our hearts in compassion for others. I know for me that's, that's something I'm, I'm praying God to help me with, is to enlarge my heart and have a love for people. Because uh, too often in my life, I can be cold-hearted towards people. So that's something I'm very much praying that God would, would open my heart to. And I've seen glimpses of him working on it, so I know, I know my heart's in good hands. And in 1 Corinthians 13, 2, it reads, Although I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries, all knowledge, and though I have all faith, even faith, so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I have nothing. So we can do all the works we want for our church. We can do all the works we want, even saying we're doing it for the Lord. But if, if love is not involved in that, there really amounts to nothing. So you see a lot of these celebrities doing all these great things and giving all these great uh, prizes out and helping all these people, and that's a wonderful thing. But if their heart is not in the right place, it really amounts to nothing. It's going to burn up. So just remember... We can have all the knowledge in the world, but the first thing we need is love in our hearts. And going to verse 30, it reads, Thus Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of the men of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all the men, than Ethan the Ezraite, and Haman, and Chalcol, and Dorda, the sons of Mahal. And his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were, were 1,005. Also, he spoke, from, he spoke of trees, from cedar trees of Lebanon, even to the hyssop that springs off the wall. He spoke also of animals, of birds, of creeping things, and fish, and men of all nations from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom came to hear wisdom of Solomon. Now, Solomon seemed to be a pretty amazing guy and kind of looked like he had his fingers in a little bit of everything that was going on. I mean, just think about all these proverbs he wrote and even, even the song, the psalms that he wrote. You try and just write one proverb that would be worth writing down. He wrote 3,000 of them. And we only have, what, maybe a couple hundred, a couple thousand, in, 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 a couple hundred inside the Bible itself. That's pretty amazing that he would come up with all these things, plus the songs that he wrote. It also seems that he likes to study trees. He studies the plants. He studies the animals. He studies all the birds. He studies the insects and studies all the fish. So in asking for this wisdom from God, 
he started gaining understanding of all different areas and aspects of physical life. And I think this is something that we, we can, as believers, can take hold of, too. The, God has given us such a great earth to live on and a great, great planet to live on, and there's so much to discover and so much to go out and see. And I think sometimes we kind of get stuck in our little cubbyhole of our lives, and I'm as guilty as can be on it, and we forget to go study and, and, and explore the wonders that God has for us here on this planet. So you get an opportunity to go out and explore the planet God has given us because it truly is beautiful. Every morning when I'm driving to work, there's a new sunset and a new, new painting in the sky that just touches my heart so much. I don't want to cry right now because I feel that way, but I just love it, man. Every morning when I get there and I just see that new painting, it's awesome. Anyway, so Solomon's wisdom was also international. They said his wisdom was as, as wise as those in the east. And if you remember when Jesus was born, who came from the east? The wise men came from the east. So his wisdom was even beyond the wise men. His wisdom was above, uh, was above the wisdom of those in Egypt. So I, I'd have to say that Solomon must have been one of the wisest men ever to walk on this earth. And why was he wise? He was wise because he asked for wisdom from God. God will give us what we need. We just need to ask. In Ephesians 3.20 it says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. He's able to do anything he needs through you. You need something, he's able to do it through you, do it for you. God is wanting to give you wisdom. He is wanting to give you the desires of your hearts if your heart is in the right place. God can and will uh, use us and give us understanding to do his will. God will use the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. He's using me to talk tonight. So he'll definitely use the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. So he can use any of us. Jeremiah 33 3 says, Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. He wants to show you great and mighty things. Amen. I don't know about you. I want to see great and mighty things. And the great and mighty things I've already seen in my life makes me hungry to see more of his great and mighty things. Amen? All right, so as we're finishing up chapter 4, and we're going to transition right into chapter 5, we're going to see King Solomon start to get the preparations to start to build the temple of God. Now, David wrote in Psalms 132, uh, verses 3 through 5, it says, Surely I will not go into the chambers of my house, or go up to the comfort of my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Now David had a deep passion and a big heart to build his temple. This is something, this is, this is David's baby. This is what he wanted to do. But because of the wars that he had and all the fighting that he had and the bloodshed that he had in his hand, he was not able to build this temple. But now that we come into the peace and prosperity of Solomon, it was said that Solomon, your son, will build a temple. So as David also prepared Solomon for this task, we can see that in 1 Chronicles 22 and also in 28, where he started preparing things. And in 1 Chronicles 22:14, David was even able to give him some of the materials that he was going to need to get this temple built. And it reads, Indeed, I have taken much trouble to prepare for the house of the Lord. 100,000 talents of gold, 
one million talents of silver and bronze and iron beyond measure, for it is abundant, is so abundant. I have prepared timber and stone also, and you may add to them. So David had already had a stockpile of materials for Solomon to start building this temple, and we'll see in a minute, Solomon did add to them, getting with, uh, with Hiram from uh, up in Lebanon to start bringing some more cedars and some more wood down. So he did add to it. Now, the building of this uh, temple was very monumental, and, he, and Solomon used Sidonian craftsmen. He would employ them to build a temple because these guys were very good with wood. They were, very, they were lumberjacks. They knew how to cut the wood. They knew how to craft the wood. So this is something we'll see in a minute. So as we get into chapter 5, let's start with verse 1. And it reads, Now Hiram, king of Tyre, sent his servants to Solomon because he heard that they had anointed him king in place of his father, for Hiram had always loved David. Then Solomon sent to Hiram, saying, You know how my father David cannot build a house for the name of the Lord, his God, because of the wars which were fought against him on every side, until the Lord, uh, until the Lord put his foes under the soles of his feet. But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side, there is neither adversary nor evil occurrence. And behold, I propose to build a house for the name of the Lord, my God. As the, as the Lord spoke to my father David, saying, Your son, whom I will set on your throne in your place, he shall build a house in my, for my name. Now therefore command that they cut down cedars, from the, uh, cedars for me from Lebanon, and my servants will be with your servants, and I will pay your wages for your servants according to whatever you say. For you know there is none among us who has skill to cut t uh, timber like the Sidonian. So here we see Hiram, who was very fond of David, and he seemed to have a very good relationship with David, seemed to be very respectful of who David was. Now, we don't know quite what the relationship of Hiram and Solomon was, was going to be, but he knew that, hey, we heard that you are a wise, wise king, you are the son of David, it looks like you have everything at hand, so it looks like we can spark up a relationship as well and bring peace between our two nations as well. We don't know if Hiram was a believer in uh, the God of Israel. We don't know that. But I th I'm pretty sure that we all have friends that, though they may not believe, they do have a respect for you, and they do have a respect for your God, and they would never disrespect you and your God. And I think with these people that we have in our lives, as well as Hiram here, that relationship can often lead to salvation of that friend or that family member who has that respect. And that's something I think we should always pray for. Now, Solomon had in his heart to build this house. Anything, and you got to think, anything that we do of significance starts with what? Proposing it in our heart. And in the King James Version of this, here, let me see where we're at. He says that he had purpose to build it. In the King James Version, it says purpose to build. So Daniel what, had a purpose in his heart to what? Not, not defile himself. Solomon had purpose in his heart to build a house of the Lord. Now I'm going to ask you, what do you purpose in your heart to do? For the Lord. What purposes have you purposed in your heart to do? Ask God and he will help you with those purposes. And if God has, has ordained you to do it, 
He will bring you through and give you what you need to take care of those purposes. And then we look at verse 6. Solomon realized that the Sidonians were better woodcutters than his own men. So he took advantage of their expertise and abilities. The Lord will assemble, Lord will assemble the workers and empower them to do the work. He will empower you to do the work that you need to do as well. God will bring what he needs into your life to help you with your life's work. God used both the Jews and Gentiles to build this temple. It wasn't just the Jews that built the temple, it was the Gentiles as well. And I know sometimes as, uh, as believers we want to help other Christians out. We may want to help them out with their business and we may, may want to give them business. But that's not always practical sometimes. Sometimes we have to go and get the help of non-believers. We, have, we, we shop at stores every day that are owned by non-believers. So that, that we're looking at this and they were both built. God uses both believer and non-believer. We look at Nebuchadnezzar. God called him my servant. He was used for God. We also look at King Cyrus of Persia who set Israel free and had them go rebuild the temple. God used these unbelievers to be able to accomplish his will. Today he uses what? He'll use politicians. Whether you like them, love them or not, he'll use them to accomplish his will. He'll use us, the average Joe, to accomplish his will. He'll use believers and non-believers to accomplish his will. Think about Moses. Moses, when he was going into the wilderness, used his father-in-law, who was very versed in the wilderness that they were going into to help kind of guide and lead him through there. Was his father-in-law a believer in the God of Israel? I don't believe he was. But Moses did use him, and you can look that up in Numbers 10, uh, Numbers 10 verse 31. Some, uh, like we said earlier, some of us, we, we do business with believers, and we do believe, uh, business with non-believers. And that's okay, because we see examples of Gentiles, Jews and Gentiles working together to accomplish something. While I certainly encourage us to support other believers, but it's not always practical, it's okay to be supporting non-believers as well, because that might win them to Christ. Amen? So as we move on to 1 Kings, we can go to verse 7. And so, so it was when Hiram heard the words of Solomon that he rejoiced greatly and said, Blessed be the Lord this day, for he has given David a wise son over the great people. Then Hiram sent to Solomon, saying, I have considered the message which you sent, and I will do all you desire concerning the cedar and cypress logs. My servant shall bring them down from Lebanon to the sea. I will float them in rafts by the sea, to the place you indicate to me, and we'll have them broken apart there. Then you can take them away, and you shall fulfill my desire, my desire by giving food for my household. Then Hiram gave Solomon cedar and cypress logs according to all, he, all his desire, and Solomon gave Hiram 20,000 cores of wheat as food for his household and 20 cores of pressed all Thus Solomon gave to Hiram year by year. So the Lord gave Solomon wisdom, and he had uh, promised him. And there was peace between Hiram and Solomon, and the two of them made a treaty together. 
So Hiram knew King Solomon was wise enough, even though Solomon was probably in his 20s at this point in time. He knew he was a really wise man. And he used the Jews and Gentiles both to build a temple. Just like today, those of the Jews who are believers and us as Gentiles who are believers are building the body of Christ together. So we can see that Jews and Gentiles can work together. As we, uh, as we know, building projects can bring out either the best and the worst of people. Uh, not just building projects, just work in general could bring out the best and the worst in people. I've had a real rough day, day yesterday with my supervisor. It could bring out the worst and the best in people. But because, just like Solomon, knew that his or his, what he was to do was to build the tabernacle and to get the people to the promised land, he knew God would not fail in that because that's what he was called to do. Solomon also knew that he was called to build this temple and that he would not fail at building this temple because it was something God had called him to do. So God has all called us in our lives to do certain tasks and certain things. And we have to trust that his work that he started will be finished when we go to glory. And he will not, he will not finish it any sooner. So as long as you're here on earth, he's going to keep working with you. So we go on to verse 13. It reads, Then King Solomon raised up a labor force out of all of Israel, and the labor force was 30,000 men. And he sent them to Lebanon, 10,000 a month in shifts. They were one month in Lebanon, two months at home. Uh, Adoniram was in charge of the labor force. Solomon had uh, servants. Solomon had 70,000 uh, 70, 70, who carried burdens and 80,000 who quarried stone in the mountains. Beside 3,300 from the chiefs of Solomon's deputies who supervised the people who labored in the work. And the king commanded them to quarry large stones, costly stones, and hewn stones to lay the foundation of the temple. So Solomon's builders, Hiram's builders, and the Gibeonites quarried them, and they prepared timber and stone to build the temple. That is a whole lot of workers to build these temples. So here we see the labor force is finally being put together to start building this temple. And it kind of reminds me where he says he'll send them off for a month and he'll be home for two months, kind of like those who work offshore. I've had a lot of family members, I'm sure a lot of us have family members that do that. They'll go out for two weeks, come back for two weeks. It was kind of, kind of a similar, similar thing that was going on here. And it was a large workforce. You have the Israelites, the Sidonians, the Gibeonites, and all these other people. This was a massive project that was, that was being taken on, and it took a lot of people. Now, I'm looking into the future of this, and, and, and he only used maybe a small portion of the population of Israel, actually, to try and build this, this uh, temple. But a lot of animosity and a lot of anger kind of started to arise from this because of, because of what Solomon was doing. And I think some of this started to add to the, to the split of Israel and Judah towards the end, uh, end of his reign when Rehoboam ended up coming into reign. So indeed, Solomon definitely taxed and put a heavy yoke on the people to build these temples as well as his house and, and other building projects that he had in Israel. So there was still a heavy burden that was put on the people. And then we're going to look, he talks about the burden carriers. And I'm looking at this, and, and as I'm, I'm, I'm trying to prepare this sermon, I'm thinking, well, what, what can we talk about when it comes to burden carriers? And then I start thinking about prayer. 
So these people were live, lifting heavy rocks and have heavy wood, and they were carrying them to these places. They were carrying the burden, the weight of these items to, to, to bring to the temple of God. Well, how about us? How about the burden of prayer? How about those, those prayer warriors that get up early every morning to pray on behalf of everyone else or takes that lunchtime to go to their prayer closet and pray for everyone else? Or just constantly all day just, just prays because Paul told us to pray without ceasing. So all day, you know, lifting up people in prayer whenever it comes to mind. And when I hear burden barriers, that's what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about bearing the burdens of, of, of the body of believers. And I, th- and I think also prayer in general is kind of a neglected thing. Like, I, mean, I mean, we all talk about prayer, but how many of them, I struggle with prayer. I, I can definitely use, uh, be, be better at prayer. I think we all can be better at prayer. And sometimes we struggle to find the words to even pray. But God asks us as believers to bear the burdens with one another. And that's what we have to do. We need to bear burdens with one another. We need to intercess for each other and pray on each other's behalfs. I think prayer is one of the most important ministries we have in the body. That, that, that communication and fellowship with God is just, is just something that, that I'm still in awe in, even though I have a lot of work to do in it. Just being able to, to pray and to, to communicate with the God of this universe, that is such a privilege we have. And that's the way he wants us to bear each other's burdens is in prayer. So what about the stone cutters? What, what does that represent for us? When Jeremiah 23, 29, it says, Is not my word like fire? Yes, the Lord, uh, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rocks to pieces. So these people who are cutting stones, they're, they're chiseling away. They're cutting huge portions off. They're cutting massive squares into these rock beds to bring to the temple to lay a foundation. And that, to me, that comes away with that chipping away is the word of God chipping away at our hearts, chipping away the sin and the dirtiness that we have in our hearts and in our lives. It's like Christ is just slowly chipping away and forming us and molding us into what we need to be and what he designed us to be. So as we look at the stone cutters, we look at the, the hammers they use and the chisels they use to form these rocks. The same thing Christ is doing with our hearts. He's chiseling away all the hardness. He's chiseling away all the sin to form our hearts like his. So what I say about this is I pray that God continues to raise up burden bearers, that he continues to use that hammer on our hearts to form us into what he needs us to be. Now we see the leadership starting to be put together here. And these leaders are starting to what? Carry out the commands of the king. When the king commands us to do something, they, do, they did it without hesitation. No reservations, no arguments. When the king tells us to do something, are we doing it without hesitation? Are we doing it without reservation? Are we doing it with no arguments from him? I'm probably going to answer for all of us and say, no, we're not. There's often that we, we, we're told to do something by God and we hesitate. We're told to do something for God and we, we start arguing, well, Lord, I really don't want to do that. Uh, I heard a story this morning uh, from a pastor that was teaching. He was uh, on a ski lift and they had another family that sat next to him. 
And he could feel the Holy Spirit telling him to witness to this couple. And he says, no, I don't want to do that. They get a little further down the lift. He could feel the nudging again, witness to this couple. No, no, I don't want to do that. And he was saying, I was scared. I was nervous. I didn't know what to say. And finally, when he built up the courage to do it, the couple was gone. They had got off the lift and, and went, and he'd never seen them again. So we don't know what God has in stores if we don't answer to what the king's request is. And also look at this also. I think of Mary when, when Jesus performed his first miracle. She told the people, whatever he says to, do it. So whatever Jesus tells us to do, do it. We're going to be much better for it. And we shouldn't be afraid because he doesn't give us the spirit of fear. He, want, he will give us the strength. And just like with Solomon, he'll give us the wisdom and the knowledge and understanding to do what we need to do and say what we need to say. All right, so we also understand that the stones needed to be large. The foundation of a house needs to be large and solid. And when we go to look at this in verse 17, it says, And the king commanded that they, quarry, that they would quarry large stones, costly stones, hewn stones to lay the foundation of the temple. Now I'm looking at this and I see him say costly stones. This is a foundation. Most of our house's foundation is concrete. It's nothing, I mean, it costs money, but there's nothing too fancy about the foundations of our homes. They're, they're just to hold us up. But then as I was looking at this, we, seem, we, we often in our minds, we seem to say, out of sight, out of mind. You can't see the foundation. It really doesn't matter what it looks like. We don't have to have anything expensive down there. We can just say out of sight, out of mind. But perhaps, I'm sorry, but perhaps Solomon knew all things were open to the Lord. Even the foundations of our life is open to the Lord. In Hebrews 4.13 it says, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So the things that we do in the dark that we think we're getting away with, he sees it. Nothing is hidden in his sight. Maybe that's why he used costly stones, because he knew even the foundations of the temple were going to be seen by the Lord. And not the foundations of our life is seen by the Lord. So I'll leave you with this. It says, Are the things that we do in secret and hiding behind closed doors, is it pleasing to the Lord? Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for this time. We thank you for this word and that you see all things. You know all things in our life. There is nothing we can hide from you, Lord. And we also know, Lord, that you, you want us to fellowship and, and lift each other's burdens up, Father God. As you start to chisel away at our stony heart, Lord, to make it into a heart of flesh, a heart like yours, Father. And may the peace and prosperity that you bring to us forever reign in our lives. And may we never forget the past that we came from, Lord, that, that once hindered us, Lord, is now set free in you, Father. Uh, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this time. And we give you all honor, praise, and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.